Welcome to the Doc Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hey, guys. Uh, recapping a couple things here on the podcast, the football edition. Um, first, we we'll want to mention that you can find us on iTunes by searching for the Duck Territory Podcast. Uh, we're free. Uh, you can listen to us. You can listen to all our previous podcasts there, as well as uh, you can go on the Oregon Ducks uh, 24/7 website, DuckTerritory.com, or Oregon.247Sports.com. I'll take you to the same place, um, and you can read our. You can listen to our podcasts there as well. And one other item of note is we'll we'll be introducing some new voices on the podcast in, in quite some time um, uh, here in the near future. That will be Kevin Wade and Steve Summers. Uh, both of those guys work for EDUC. Uh, the merger will be, if you're listening to us on Monday, the 18th of September, of December, uh, the merger happens on the 19th of December. Uh, so if, if you catch this episode right when we upload it and after we recorded it, uh, that's tomorrow. If not, you'll the merger will have already happened. Uh, EDUC from Scout.com is merging with DuckTerritory.com, and well, we're really, really excited about the opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. We both started working for Steve back in the day. Steve's been doing this for two decades. I think he's kind of the pioneer with right. doing this, especially in the Oregon market. And Kevin's a guy we, we've already been kind of working with now for the last couple months since we kind of got word this was going to come down. He's Both of them are going to help a ton with the team coverage, and Kevin's going to be really helpful with the recruiting coverage. He's worked with a lot of the uh, West Coast analysts like Brian Huffman and Greg Biggins. Um, over the years, doing a lot of the uh, West Coast recruiting analysis for for scouts. So, uh, bit, I think big addition. Um, I think it's going to be something that you're going to you're going to see more content, better content, um, just better overall team coverage. So this is, I think, a, a big boost for us. And I'm sure we'll have Kevin and maybe Steve on the podcast at some point here. Uh, I'm sure Kevin for sure um, right. with recruiting and maybe Steve on for some team coverage stuff. Um, but let's you know, so that's going to help us tremendously. That's going to help you, the listener, and also the subscriber. Uh, get more bang for your buck, um, and so we're really excited about that. But uh, we won't want to talk too much about our, ourselves. Uh, <laughs> let's dive into this bowl game, and uh, we're going to talk Oregon football, uh, the the bowl game against Boise State in Las Vegas. The Ducks fall thirty eight to twenty eight. We'll talk about our impressions from that, our, our takeaways from the first game of Mario Cristobal's era, and if Duck fans should be worried yeah. uh, after one game of the Mario Cristobal era. And then we'll dive in the second half of this podcast of some recruiting stuff. Um, there's already, you know, some shakeout from uh, the last couple of day, uh, days and, you know, signing day is on the 20th. We're recording this on the 18th. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be some news that trickle out through that as well. So let's get to this bowl game. And, Eric, it was not very pretty. <laughs> no. And, and honestly, Oregon's down 10 and a half. It could have easily been, you know, five, six scores. I mean, Boise State had the ball in the red zone. It seemed like every time they had the ball. Oregon's fortunate that in the final event. I've never seen this happen in a football game. I mean, this, this was pretty wild. This would be like someone hitting like three full court buzzer beaters in a basketball game, you know, or something like that each quarter. It was just Oregon on consecutive possessions with less than a minute to go creates a turnover on a Boise State play and runs it. 80 or more yards for a touchdown. Yeah, they had, uh, I, I, I want to say Troy Dye's 86 yard touchdown reception, or touchdown fumble return was more yards than Oregon had offensively. I want to say midway through the third it, quarter. It, it was, yeah. And then on top of that, you had Tyree Robinson's 100 yard interception return, which was, uh, a program best now. You know, he now holds the record for the longest interception return for a touchdown. And it was, Complete fluke. I mean, yeah. 
they were Boise State ran a trick play, a fake sta- uh, they ran a Statue of Liberty play. They muffed the, they exchanged the quarterback and the running back, and and Die did the rest. And then it was just a terrible throw by by Brett Rippin. Yeah. Um, after they needed one play to get inside the the Oregon, I think six or seven yard line uh, after the Die touchdown return. So. Ducks were very fortunate very, to go very, in that. Again, very fortunate because earlier in the, I think it was in the first quarter, Boise State has the ball at like the five-yard line. Arian Springs, who's dropped about 25 interception possibilities in his career, makes one of the best catches I've seen an Oregon player make in a long time, a one-handed, almost Odell Beckham type of falling back catch in the end zone, which we also negates points for Boise State. And again, Oregon defensively was not good until they reached the red zone and where, where they forced a lot of turnovers and actually scored half the team's points, you know, in situations where, you know, or I think actually Oregon defensively scored more points in the when Boise State had the ball in the red zone than Boise State did up until half. So um, it was not a pretty half, but once again, they go into half 24-14. They're only down 10 after they failed to move the ball past midfield. The Oregon offense looked lost. They looked, you know, completely out of rhythm, out of sync. I don't know how much that you can attribute to uh, a new play caller in Marcus Soro. This is his first game play calling for Oregon. How much you can, you know, to a team who had a lot that they were dealing with, you know, in the lead up to the bowl game. You know, Boise State obviously had their mind solely focused on playing this bowl game. Oregon had to figure out, oh boy, we're going to lose our head coach. Who's going to be our new head coach? Oh, now we have a new head coach. Right. Oh, we have a bowl game in five days. I mean, there was so much going on there, but they just seemed kind of lost and then was kind of like they were sleepwalking through it until the fourth quarter. They do get a couple of scores to make it look more competitive. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't really matter. The first seven drives decided the game, and that was something that. Um, Oregon players said going into the game was they needed to play well early on. They needed a good start, and that they had the complete opposite of that. They went punt, punt, fumble, fumble, punt, interception, interception, punt. Gross. And their drives were just as bad. You know, three plays for nine yards, three plays for a negative ten, four plays for twelve, uh, two plays for negative four, and then they fumbled uh, six punt, six plays for twenty three yards, six plays for sixteen, and an interception. Four for twenty-five and in an interception, uh, and then four, three for negative four yards. I mean, they they virtually had nothing at all in in the first half offensively. And the thing that surprised me the most was I don't think Royce Freeman's decision to not play in this game would have impacted the outcome at all because Oregon's offensive line played yeah. probably their worst performance of the season. And I think you have to give some credit to to Boise State on you know, their defense was pretty legit mm-hmm. and, and pretty talented. Um, Oregon's offensive line gave no time for Herbert to throw the ball, and they could not open up any kind of holes uh, for Oregon's run game. And um, that was part of the problem. And then my other concern in the first half, and basically until the fourth quarter, when Oregon you know started moving the ball, I was just disappointed in the, the creativity of the offense. It, I you agree. Know, it was I think at one point you know they had like nine or ten possessions and. You know, they started every first down with a run play in almost all of those possessions, and it was very predictable. And I don't know if that's just because of you know, the coaching change, and you know, you're one assistant short, and you know, you, you had to deal with all this off-field stuff or, or what. But uh, to go from what they were look, what they looked like against Washington, uh, against uh, Arizona and Oregon State, to what they looked like three weeks later against Boise State was just drastically different. Yeah, it almost resembled what we saw when Herbert was out, where it was like, okay, we're going to be. Super, we're very predictable on first and second down because we're aware that we're not really capable of throwing the ball vertically, and and they kind of handcuffed themselves a little bit because you know you know Justin Herbert didn't really throw the ball down the field until 
the second half. You know, right. he was, I think, at one point five for six, but it was only for like 20 yards. Everything was kind of short underneath stuff, um, you know, either to the running back or in the flat to the receivers. So they didn't really test themselves there. And, and I think, you know, Boise State, it's worth mentioning, I think four of their front seven players were all league in the Mountain West. So it's a, it's a very test, their strength of their defense for sure. Um, but those guys are running around. I mean, Leighton Vander Esch might have been, that might have been the best defensive performance I saw this year. Um, in a game Oregon played him, mean, he was all over the place. He was extremely aggressive. He was, you know, forcing fumbles, getting sacks. You know, uh, he was just everywhere. And, and his presence defensively had a bigger impact than anything that Oregon was able to do offensively. And like you said, I I was a little bit surprised with the lack of creativity. It seemed like, you know, you said it was run, run, and then it's third and seven, and now we're trying. Everyone to Everyone knows what you're going to do. Know what you're doing, and so you know when the defense is sort of aware of what is coming on every play. That's not a great sign. And you can make a lot of excuses. There's a lot of there's a lot of room to make excuses. I mean, Oregon yes. has a ton of reasons to make excuses. I mean, I already touched on a couple of them with all the distractions coming in. Um, and you wonder how much that plays a part into it and um, and how much of it's just kind of what you'll see from the staff going forward. But I think, obviously, some, some opportunity to learn, if you are this group, um, what, what happened in the second half when they were kind of letting the ball you know, fly a little bit in terms of the passing game was probably more of what you should have started with, you know, and that they had a lot of success doing that in the second half. Part of that's probably Boise State kind of playing a little bit off and kind yeah. of going, okay, we don't want to give too many big plays because they're just going to wait this one out. But um, certainly was not what you wanted to see um, in either Coach Mario Cristobal's debut or um, Marcus Arroyo's offensive coordinator debut. I thought it was interesting that the defense played outside of the first maybe four drives that Boise State had, I think Oregon's defense played pretty well. I agree. Um, you look at the, you know, the places that Boise took over, you know, the, the first, their first drive, it looked terrible for Oregon's defense because they went 13 plays and 67 yards and they scored. Uh, and then, um, the second drive, Oregon gave up a lot of yards, 64, but it ended with Arion Springs creating yeah. a huge interception in the in, in an end zone. Uh, flip the script there a little bit, and then they got put in a really tough spot defensively because Oregon fumbled on their side of the 50-yard line. Boise took over at the 32 of the Ducks in three plays later they scored. Right. Uh, but then again, you know, Oregon fumbled on their side of the field the very next possession, and that was a, a possibility where things could have just fallen off the rails, uh, and they missed a field goal, and the Duck defense held. And then uh, Oregon forced a punt. Uh, they scored a touchdown. Uh, off an interception, so I don't, I don't give the defensive any, you know, any knocks there. Right. You know, they only, so they only gave up 31 points defensively. Um, and, and then you look in the second half and it's, you know, they fumbled the ball and Oregon recovered. Uh, they, they fumbled it end of the first quarter and the Ducks scored. They threw an interception, the Ducks scored. Uh, then that's the end of the half. And then they scored on their first drive in, in the third quarter. Which was a, a, a big, big a, score. A, a big score. Big play, yeah. Twelve plays, seventy-five yards, and another five-minute possession. Um, but then after that, they did virtually nothing until the very end. Three and out punt, three plays, seventeen yards punt, uh, six plays, thirty yards punt, three plays, negative eight yards, and a punt. And that was when Jalen Jelks got that sack after Justin Herbert found Brendan Schooler. And when he got that sack, I said to myself, "This is Oregon's chance. Mm-hmm. This is where they're going to win the game or they're going to lose the game." And unfortunately for Oregon, they didn't really do anything of, of significance after that sack, and they had to punt. And you know, my biggest concern was they're never going to get the ball back really uh, again after that and have a real legit chance of, of scoring. 
but then they, you know, they finally tacked on probably the game clincher, uh, 11 drive, 86 yards, five minutes off the clock, uh, to, to put Boise State up, I think at the time, 38 to 21. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the, the, the killer with it just, I want to say, about two and a half, yeah, three not minutes. Not very much time left. Left time. Oregon does come down and score, but yeah. at that point it's over. And yeah, it was, a, again, disappointing, you know, first game for, I think, for a lot of people and disappointing in terms of, the end of the game, and maybe we should transition to, should we be concerned? Yeah, I was just going to say that. Because, uh, you know, this was not what I think a lot of people expected. There was so much, you know, one thing I'll say is that the players really rallied behind Mario Cristobal. They had the hashtag, they petitioned for him. They didn't really fight for him in the game, and I don't know if, again, I mean, I'm not sure if that's fair to say. That yeah. I think I think that's taking away from what Boise State did. I, we should mention Boise State had a great game plan. Um, when, when they ran between the tackles, Oregon did a great job. But when they were able to get the ball on the edge, and they did all sorts of exotic things in terms of they're even doing like Michael Jackson pirouettes. Yeah, that, stuff that was weird. Pre-snap, and there are all these weird kind of things that Oregon's probably never seen before, and they get you to deal with that. So, but um, really, wasn't the effort that you were expecting to see? I think you know they they were like I said they they were down twenty four zero you know with about a minute to go in the second quarter, and if not for a couple of defensive touchdowns, this one could have easily been. You know, thirty-one, thirty-eight, nothing, um, and you go into the second half and it's over. You were, I think, impressed with the way they fought in that second half, but um, certainly after all of the fanfare around, we got to get Cristobal. He's our guy. To kind of see them come out so limp like right. that was, I think, a little bit discouraging. But we should mention this was a game where Cristobal had less than a week as the head coach to prepare for this. I mean, remember the first three practices for this bowl preparation, really Tiger was the head coach. Yeah. I mean, they went through a ton. Um, eight, he had eight full time assistants because Crystal Ball now is elevated up to head coach. Right. So they, you know, so they're already unmanned. Right. From a from a personnel, you know, they have they have GAs and they have analysts, but at the same time, you know, those nine assistants are full time assistants for a reason. Right. You know, the, you just can't just that that makes an impact whether they want to admit it or not. I don't think um, the effort was there was lacking. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I I felt like this team tried hard. I think this team played hard. Um, I just don't think they executed very well, and they looked unprepared. <laughs> and that goes to what you said of you know, there were a lot of things off the field that went on over the last two and a half weeks for this team. And it, it just doesn't it doesn't start when Taggart left. It was the stuff that came after the Civil War game. You know, it, this has been something that's been kind of on the minds or in the back of the minds of this football team and the players of Willie Tiger. Is he leaving? Is he staying for almost a month now? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a huge emotional wear and tear. And while, you know, Crystal Ball said it didn't, you know, play a factor and guys didn't say it factor, look, they're human. And it's only natural for that to kind of creep in and, and impact what you do. It's just, you know, any day, you know, the accountant that's sitting down and, Wondering, well, is is my company going to get bought out, and am I going to have a job right. or not? I mean, that stuff Im- impacts performance all across the board, and I think that played a huge factor in this. And you know, on top of that, you know, there was just a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts, um, or you know, that that were that went into this. And you know, at the same time, I don't think Boise State got the proper credit that they were. Do I was going to say, I mean, Boise State has made kind of a living being that team that's overlooked, and they go against a Power 5 team, and then they, you know, I mean, you look over the years, they've beaten all sorts of teams, including Oregon now three times, 
where they kind of came in as underdogs. You know, they weren't getting the respect they deserved. Boise State won their conference. They were ranked 25th in the country. Oregon had a losing record in the Pac-12 and was a one-touchdown favorite. I mean, that's sort of, I mean, and I'm sure they use that as motivation of, we, we've won 11 games this year, or 10 games coming in, and Oregon's won seven, and they're considered a seven-point favorite. What's going on here? And and you could tell that, you know, it's kind of that perfect storm. Oregon had all of these things going on. Or, uh, Boise State had all this motivation, had all that focus on this game, whereas Oregon was probably, their minds were all over the place. Um, and, and it showed up that way, and I think you can't diminish... You know what Boise State They won ten games. Do. They won their conference. Right. They're a ranked team, yeah. and they were a veteran team. Yeah. And you know, we heard all all this season. While there were some seniors that were, you know, important for this team, Oregon still was relying on a ton of sophomores and a ton of freshmen. And you know, they they kind of had the Boise State kind of had the perfect storm for a blowout. Totally. Um, totally. So I I don't think it's I'm not going to make cause. You know, I'm not going to worry about one game. Um, even if Oregon came out and blew out Boise State, I'm not going to say, oh, if they they found the guy that's going to get Oregon to the national championship. It's right. one game. Um, you know, we would be saying the same thing after after a regular season game. Why is it any different at the end? Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, Heisman for Justin Herbert. I think that kind of goes to the, flutters away for a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's it, – it probably hurts him in the fact that he's probably not going to be – a guy that's going to be super hyped now coming up in, into the season, but if he has a huge yeah. you know September season, you know it's going to be right back to where can, it was. Can I make one point? Yeah. Chip Kelly started his career against Boise State, lost by eleven <laughs> points. Look what he did. Mario starts his career. They lose by ten points. He did better than Kelly in his first game. And, and neither team could run the ball. Those <laughs> endo punches were thrown. Yeah, um, there were punches thrown. They just did not get called. He's right, and they weren't after the game, and people were wearing helmets. But <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, that's probably an aside. But yeah, I, I think. I, I would, you know, and I think the unfortunate thing for Coach Cristobal is that Chip Kelly then has, you know, a game the next week where he's able to rally. Oregon doesn't have a game now for about eight months, and so this is going to kind of hang over his head, um, you know, for a while. People are going to be questioning it. I, I don't think there's a lot of, I mean, obviously you would have liked to see them come out and, and blow the crap out of Boise State and get some revenge, but right. I, I don't think there's a lot of cause for concern right now. I think if going into next season, you know, you look at those first three games and they're against, you know, non-Power 5 teams, and if Oregon drops a couple of those, then you go, okay, what's going on here? This is not working. But right now, I think, you know, enjoy the fact that Oregon's still going to probably sign a top 12, top 15 recruiting class. That fact that good news last night came out, Jim Levitt, the defensive coordinator, will be returning. Right. Uh, good news this morning, it sounds like defensive line coach Joe Salovey will also be returning. We've heard a number of other assistant coaches will be I returning. don't think Salovey was that big of a surprise. Right. I think no. you know, we've we've hinted at that on the site um, for a while now. Yeah. Um, the Levitt stuff, you know, we originally reported that he was gone. And I still stand by that reporting at the time when we heard that information after Taggart's departure. Um, and especially after his, Crystal Ball being named the head coach full time, you know that was true. I you know trust people that we've we've spoken to, and you know, but just like I use the analogy, look, it, it, this plays out just like Brandon McCoy and and, and just like Jamal Murray and, and basketball recruiting. While they're you know comparing oranges to apples here a little bit, right? You know things change mm-hmm. and information changes, and when something happens. That you know, what I, Crystal Levitt got a huge pay raise. I mean, so Brandon McCoy and <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know that 
you know, Oregon went to Oregon went to bat and you know threw a ton of money at him. Yeah. And he's, you know, yeah, he's being paid almost as much as Coach Cristobal is. Right. I mean, they're they're almost essentially being paid the same. I, mean, I think it's like what seven hundred thousand. Hundred thousand difference. Yeah. Which is very very unique in in any sport to have a head coach make just a little bit more than an assistant coach. And so you know, look, information changes. We were wrong. You know, our information at, at the at the beginning now is wrong. Um, but stuff changes all the time and, and circumstances change and, you know, negotiations happen. Um, and so we'd heard there was some chatter that, you know, he may still leave, but it wouldn't be to Florida State. Um, we reported that, I think, Thursday or Friday mm-hmm. uh, leading up to the bowl game. Um, and that part ended up being true because Florida State wasn't going to, you know, apparently match Oregon's offer. And he chose to stay at Oregon. That's huge. And, yeah. you know, it's huge for this defense because you go and look at his year one to year two growth at Colorado. You know, they had a huge, huge improvement in year one at Colorado, just like they did here at Oregon. And in his second year with the Buffs, they finished, I think, as a top ten defense. And I think that's fair to say with what Oregon's got coming back on defense, they can they can expect to have a, a top 15, top 20 type defense. I mean, they, they lose seven starters, you know, and some pretty key players. Henry Mondu is a guy that obviously was tremendous. Tyree Robinson, Arian Springs were both kind of all-conference caliber players. Yeah, I guess we'll include Jimmy Swain as a starter on defense. He didn't start the whole season, but was pretty instrumental at the back end there. But those are four guys, but I think they have the players on the roster to replace them. I mean, frankly, we've seen true freshmen and sophomores play those spots a lot. We saw Deontay Lenore play the same position as Aaron Springs. We saw Austin Fallu, um and a couple other guys play where Henry Mondu was. We've seen Nick Pickett and Billy Gibson play safety. Um, we saw Samson New play pretty well, actually, in the bowl game. At before he got hurt. Back before he got hurt. So I, I, I think if you're Oregon, you feel pretty excited because you have a lot of young players. I mean, the defensive leader will be a junior next year, and that's obviously Troy Dye. Jalen Jokes is announced that he'll be back. Which is senior, big. Which is huge. He's their best sack player and kind of the, you know, led the team in tackles for loss. I think was third in the conference in that category. Um, this, this is a team that's going to defensively be really, really good, I think. You know, yeah. you return, um, it's looking like the majority of this defensive coaching staff. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with the, with the three guys right now, but we've heard Keith Hayward probably going to be retained. Charles Clark and probably going to be re- Raymond Woody. Not 100% sure, but the good chance that they'll retain Clark, it sounds like Woody, more than likely falling uh, Florida State. to Florida State. He's been with them every step of the way. But um, those are kind of their key guys there, and I think you know they can build. And you know, One year, it's, it's hard to build all these relationships and kind of your defensive identity over three or four months. Now they're going to have an extra year to do that and, and kind of, you know, kind of build what they're trying to even more with a young group that's, you know, probably going to be easier to mold than a, than a group of veterans. So I think you should be very optimistic about this defense. Is it weird that maybe the offense is where you have more concerns? I mean, outside of Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell, by the way, we should mention a fantastic uh, yeah. bowl game. But, I mean, there's some concerns offensively, I think. I was just going to mention, you know, real quick before we switch over to the offensive side of the football. I, I think you look along the depth chart, I think – uh, Austin Fialo, Falio slides over into Henry Mondu's yeah. defensive end spot, and your starting group next season is is Austin Fialo at at end, Jordan Jordan Scott at nose tackle, and then Jalen Jelks as your defensive end. And, and the question here is for Oregon up front defensively is who are the guys after after mm-hmm. um, Drayton Kralberg is is going to be a redshirt junior, um, Gary Baker will be a redshirt junior, um, and those are the only two guys that really have any much significant playing time 
Um, and I don't think either of those guys have really come out and shown you enough to say, yeah, they're going to be they're going to be really good. Or you know, they've had their spurts where they've, yeah. where they've looked good, and they've had their spurts where they they've just been another body on, along the defensive line. And that's you know, I think this comes into play where now you know maybe a Muhammad Diallo can assume the backup defensive uh, the backup nose guard position or nose tackle position behind Jordan Scott. Um, this is where Young's worth mentioning. He could get another he year. could get another year back. Um, and then you've got guys like Andrew Johnson, Jonathan King, Malcolm Lamar. Um, do these guys stay committed to Oregon, or do they open things up? And then on top of that, who comes in into this recruiting class? They've made a couple new scholarship offers last night. Two last night, line, yeah. Um, Tyler Moana, a four-star U.S. Army All-American defensive lineman from Mountain View High School. Uh, St. Francis High School in Mountain View, California, which is the same high school as redshirting freshman Cyrus Sabi Lakio, a running back. And then also, Austin Fialo's younger brother, Andrew Fialo, um, a guy who plays for the best team in the country, Matter Day High School, who's, uh, the, their best defensive player. Uh, they won a state championship this past weekend. And, you know, I expect Oregon probably to get both those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a real possibility both those guys are gonna have to play. I would agree. I mean, yeah, and you mentioned that trio before of, of Johnson, King, and Lamar. I mean, there's a pretty good chance that none of those guys end up at Oregon. I mean, realistically, I mean, we don't know for sure, and, and a lot of this will be determined. I don't ex- think we expect any of them to sign early. I know King and Lamar both have publicly said they won't. I don't know what Johnson has said. He's been hard to get a hold of, but um, they need some guys. They need some bodies in this class on that defensive line, and and and. You know, Diallo is, is really physically gifted, but very raw. You don't know exactly what you're getting out of him. Um, but yeah, I would agree. I, I, I think the defensive line has a, a really strong core, but you have some concerns now at some of those other spots about kind of who's filling in a backup, who's filling up a backup, you know, for even for Jordan Scott at nose guard. I think you also have to wonder, you know, you look at the linebacker spot and Justin Hollins is back as a senior. Uh, Troy Dye is back as a junior. Lamar Winston is back as a junior. Um, those three guys out of the four positions are all going to be pretty pretty dynamic. Um, I, I think Winston has, has really grown this season. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's safe to say he's probably Oregon's third or fourth best player defensively. I would agree, yeah. Um, I, I think Justin Hollins made big gains, uh, while not as noticeable as Jalen Jokes. I think he's a guy that's you know a good, strong senior season. He's going to find himself on an NFL roster uh, in the 2019 NFL draft, and but the, you know, but then again, behind Troy Dye inside, who do you have? Jimmy Swain's now gone. Blake Rugraff is a walk-on who who had some moments and had some moments where he looked like a walk-on. Yeah. Um, Kalana Apelu is undersized, and he's going to be a senior, and he used to be a walk-on. And then on top of that, you have Samson New and Isaac Slade uh, Matsuatia. You know, New looked decent in in the Vegas Bowl, but really didn't do much all season. Um, so you have, you've got some questions inside at linebacker depth there. Uh, but then, like you said, the secondary is uh, going to be pretty good for Oregon. And offensively, you mentioned it before we got off topic here a little bit. Dylan yeah. Mitchell, um, this is a guy going into the year we thought was going to be kind of the go-to guy. And the final two games of that of this season, showed he, it up. he showed. Yeah. He had six catches and 119 yards and two touchdowns against Oregon State in the Civil War. And then against Boise State, he had a career high, uh, nine catches for 143 yards. He didn't score, uh, but Mitchell made, Mitchell made a ton of plays in this game. 
And I think going forward, he finished the year with 42 catches and 517 yards and four touchdowns. If it wasn't for Herbert getting hurt and the inability to throw the ball, he could have been a a guy that had 70 catches for 800 yards. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, and and he, to me, though, and this is where I was saying there were some concerns, along with probably, I think, Brendan Schooler started showing some pretty positive things towards the back end of the season, and and then... I'm still pretty high on, on kind of what they've got at tight end in terms of you know what Breland can do catching the football. But aside from those three guys, I just don't see a lot of options for Herbert right now. And this is where this recruiting class is going to have to come together. Jalen Red had, a, had a, some moments towards the end of the season where he got healthy and did some nice things, but they just don't have a lot of guys on the outside right now. And, and running back, you know, they they return Tony Brooks, James, they return Darion Felix, they return obviously a couple of. Redshirting freshmen have some guys coming in, but none of those guys are that big-bodied Royce Freeman back. I don't know if they have kind of that bell cow running back. And it's worth mentioning, Oregon running backs in this game ran for 24 yards on 15 carries, you know, and that's minus Royce Freeman. I don't know if that's going to be a sign of things to come um, for them, but I just think for the first time in a really long time, you can say Oregon has legitimate questions at some of these skill positions um, because for so long Oregon has had, like, 13 really good receivers or running backs on the roster. And right now it feels like they have like five, yeah. you know, it just feels like there's a little bit of a talent disparity to what you're, what you're used to. I know Justin Herbert's a tremendous quarterback, but it needs some options around him. And, and that's why I feel pretty confident right now, knowing that Levitt's back, knowing that Jalen Jelks is back and some of these other guys that the defense right now feels like I'm more confident that they'll be really good next year than I am that the offense will be really good. Yeah. I, I, they need to find some, some playmakers, um, like you said, on the offensive side of the ball, because outside of Mitchell, I just don't think there's, you know, maybe Schooler can, can develop yeah. a little bit more. You know, it'll be, he'll have a full offseason now of, of making that, you know, transition to wide receiver. Cause remember, he didn't spend spring ball playing or fall really, or really much of fall camp playing receiver. So he was learning on the fly all year. Maybe he kind of develops into a, a target there as a junior and he, he had a decent year. I don't know if, if it was something that, you know, you, you, that screams, he's going to be a star. He had 20 catches for 274 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, decent. decent. Um, but at the same time, they need dudes. And that, that's, what's really surprising with this recruiting class is that, yeah. you know, <laughs> they had five guys that were receivers, high profile receivers committed. Yeah, four stars are better. Yeah. And they had Justin Herbert coming back for his junior year. And now they don't have any of them. Um, I think they probably find a couple guys that, that come back into the fold that decommitted. I think a couple of them go elsewhere. Um, we'll know real quick on Braden Lindsay, a four-star in-state guy. He's going to decide on the 22nd. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be, I think it's down to basically Notre Dame and Oregon. Um, he was, he's been committed to both schools. Um, Spencer Webb, a four-star tight end from, for Oregon that's committed. He made a secret unofficial visit to, or a secret official visit. Uh, to UCLA while the Vegas Bowl was playing out. I'm sure Oregon, Oregon coaches were probably a little worried about that since he's, you know, a, uh, I know he's a NorCal guy, but he comes from a program that's, you know, a, an off-season program that's sponsored by Adidas. Um, and typically, you know, in recruiting, you know, Adidas guys sign with Adidas. Nike guys sign with Nike. Um, you know, it's just the little, you know, it's the, way it works. the market power works. Yeah. Um, and UCLA is an Adidas school, I believe. And, and then, um, on top of that, the Chip Kelly factor. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and, so, and you'd hate to lose Webb because we mentioned he's all these dynamic. guys lost. I think he might have been the most, one of the least, I mean, those guys are some really talented players, but one of the players with the highest upside in terms of pass catchers in this class. I mean, he is, in my eyes, one. Of, and I saw up at the, you know, at the opening, I, I think he's one of the top tight ends I've seen in person. I saw him at the Saturday Night Live camp, and he is a really, really talented tight end. And they, it would be a, a huge bump again to this recruiting class to lose somebody of this caliber, kind of in the eleventh hour. I mean, they they need people to throw, you know, that Justin Herbert can throw the football to, and to go from having, you know, I think at one point seven committed wide receivers or tight ends to maybe just signing Tegan Quitteriano, who's a pretty solid tight end. That would be a disappointment. Um, it would that's be considered all. a pretty big disappointment, and and we think that they might, you know, end up signing a number of talented kids, you know, in the February signing class, but certainly not what you had expected. You know, the expected outcome was even a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and I think they'll find some guys, whether they're new targets or not. Um, they went and saw Trayshawn Harrison, uh, former Duck commit in Seattle on Thursday night. Uh, Keith Hayward and Michael Johnson went up there. Marcus Arroyo went up there. Um, Chris Duvall went and saw uh, Devon, Devin Williams and um, – not Devin Williams, Jalen Hall and Michael Ezeki. Uh, Thursday night in Southern California, Devin Williams was in Vegas uh, for the game, so maybe he, you know, was like, "Oh wow, I could probably go out there right now and have <laughs> a huge up now. I'll probably get the top target. Have a huge, have a, a huge impact on this game. So, um, recruiting is is going to be interesting to follow. Signing day is on the twentieth. Uh, we're recording this on the eighteenth, so just a couple days away. And uh, real quick, as we wrap this one up here. Um, you spoke with a couple guys uh, regarding the report out by Aaron Fentress of M- NBC Sports Northwest uh, that Dante Pimpleton is is leaving Oregon for Florida State. Yeah, um, Ducks have a couple commits that he's recruited with, and you spoke with at least one of them, right? Well, I haven't spoken with Travis Guy, but I think I don't think that that's Troy Bryce's young, younger brother. From right, there. I think he's pretty much locked in. If he doesn't sign, then something weird's going on. But yeah, Jamal Elliott, uh, four-star running back out of North Carolina. You know, the, the higher rated of the two running back commits said he's all good, didn't impact him. I think he might have expected this. Um, I'm sure there's been communication from Cristobal and the other assistants that Pimpleton's, you know, a taggered guy. He's probably going to take off and they've kind of eased his concerns. Um, so, yeah, I think he, they're going to sign him. They're going to sign two running backs in this class. They might sign more running backs than any other position going which is kind of <laughs> interesting because that might be the one <laughs> position where the position coach is pretty off. loaded. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think you can be pretty confident that they'll, they'll get two, like two signees on, on Wednesday. Yeah, Muhammad Diallo, Oregon's junior college, pros, uh, junior college defensive line commit, uh, three-star guy. He made an official visit to Texas A&M over the weekend. Um, I'm sure Oregon coaches were not very pleased about that because he – came the week before on the 8th of, of December um, and, and reaffirmed his commitment for Oregon. So we'll see what happens there as well. We've got an update more in depth on that one um, on, on DuckTerritory.com. And then, you know, there's a couple guys out there that, you know, are question marks with where they signed Penny Sewell. Um, that's the guy Cristobal went and saw right after the Vegas Bowl game was over. Uh, he made an in-home visit Saturday night uh, in Utah. And then we're also waiting on uh, Hackey, Hackey Wood, uh, this is a guy that tried to commit to Oregon in, I want to say November. Um, yeah. and Oregon coaches. Just for the Arizona game. Yeah, Oregon coaches told him to slow your roll a little bit. Um, we want to see how things shake out. And, uh, I've heard some recent new updates on that and you can go to our site and read, you know, the status there. And if, if Oregon's a player in his commitment that's coming up here in a couple of days. Uh, and then there's Talanoa Hafunga who, 
the five-star from Corvallis. Um, there's an update there as well on his status with Oregon and um, where things are trending currently with him. And then last but not least, uh, Adrian Jackson. Mm-hmm. That's this is a big one. Yeah. yeah, this is a big one for Oregon. Um, we'd heard from him and from some other people that he was probably going to end up at Oregon regardless of what happened with Jim Levitt. Um, but Levitt was his primary recruiter. And that, with Levitt now inking the new deal, it's basically, you know, hell and high water would have to come for him not to sign with Oregon. And that's critical. Maybe he's the guy that steps in there. I was going to say, he might be that guy that steps in there and starts an inside linebacker. I wouldn't put it past him. He is a very, very talented linebacker prospect. Go watch his huddle tape. It's among the best for an Oregon commit right now. I mean, he is a very, very good athlete. Um, That's going to do it for us. Thank you for uh, listening to this podcast. You can find us on DuckTerritory.com. You can also find the podcast on iTunes by searching for the Duck Territory podcast. Uh, We're going to be updating the site throughout the week for recruiting information uh, signing day comes and then the fallout from the first signing day period. Uh, so go to duckterritory.com for all your Oregon football and football recruiting needs. And until we talk to you sometime probably in the next week or so, uh, for Eric and myself, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.